Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of the hosts. And my name is Ethan, two of the hosts. And our absence is entirely my fault, so you can blame me. This week we are discussing a mathematically perfect redemption, a.k.a. the peanut hamper episode. It was directed by Jason Zurich, who we've checked in about before, did the boys animated show, a little DuckTales in there, some Transformers, some Ben 10, uh, Legend of Korra, Venture Brothers, so good stuff there. All good shows. Yeah, I haven't watched any of them, but... And then, now here's the most interesting thing. We got the writer here, an Austrian by the name of Anne Acacia Kim. And here are, is, here are Anne's credits. New Girl. The, the, the sitcom. High School Musical, the musical, the series. And Star Trek Lower Decks. That's, um, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. It's... You know, when you list people's filmography like that, I always think about the original series and where those writers came from. And a lot of them stayed within genre, the genre that they were mm -hmm. writing for. So, I mean, you know, we're talking like Twilight Zone and Outer Limits, like all background in science fiction. And mm -hmm. it's just weird to me that some of the, like the, some of the, this current crop of Trek shows, they just seem to bring anybody on who just works on anything. It's like all you need are credits, writing credits. In fairness on this one, I mean, those yeah. are comedies. This is a comedy. Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I just find it, I just find it odd to me. It's just an observation. Yeah. The yeah. thing I find odd is that every, it seems like everyone who writes an episode is also an executive story editor and a producer. And a producer, yeah. Ever since Red Letter Media pointed that out, what was it in the opening of Discovery? How everybody was a producer. I began to notice yeah. it on every subsequent there track show. Producers. Everybody was a producer. Yeah. yeah it must it, be a good gig. I mean, I'm sure you get more money for being a producer, also. Yeah. And you have to wonder, like, how, what role do they play, really? That's a mystery. Well, but yeah, I mean, you know, and just to take a moment, yeah, that we've had a slight absence, but um, nobody's fault. But we're just going to resume, and we're going to be talking about this peanut hamper episode. This rather, I've got to say, um, bizarre episode. Enjoyable, but bizarre. Yes. I, I like when shows take chances and do different things like this. Yeah. However, in this case, I didn't love it. Did you find, I mean, did, I, I think. Appreciated the risk. Yeah, it, it I'll, you know what, I'll use a term for this one the way I described uh, Halloween Ends when I said it felt very backdoor pilot in some ways. <laughs> but, um, oh God, no, I hope not. Well, I, I think what helps to re what reinforces that is how they really went, they took it a few steps further than it just being a regular Lower Decks episode. I mean, they gave the show its own opening, for God's sakes. Yeah. Which, I think yeah. that was kind of like the joke, I guess. Part yeah. of the joke. That's yeah. what I thought. Because I don't think anyone would watch a Peanut Hamper spinoff. 
I don't know. <laughs> I watched this okay. one. But I, I think it's weird because I, you know, in my mind, I want to say, oh, it's like a filler episode, but it's not because it's, it's no filler for anything. It's just a, it's just a very odd deviation. I, I don't know that I really found myself wondering where Peanut Hamper was after the finale in season one or if we would yeah. see her again. I just didn't. I mean, I, I guess I thought we would see her again. But I wasn't right. kind of not like that. Yeah, the last the last we saw her, she was floating away, saying "Help, help!" as the Titan warped away in the season one finale. Right. Which. Oh. Yeah. It, it was. I think it's. It's. It seems like this just. Well, that's true. They sort of set it up. I wonder if it just seemed like something. It just seemed like someone, a joke to me. Yeah, but that someone then threw out like, "Hey, what if we pick up on Peanut Hamper after that?" And someone thought, "Oh, yeah, that's a good idea," and and they did it. Yeah. Yeah, the the problem is I have to stop looking at this in stories like this because we're dealing with episodic stories for the most part. Yeah, they're some, all filler. With some themes or arcs that carry over, but I have to get this out of my mind where I say, what does this do? What does this? How does this relate to the rest of the show? Oh, it doesn't. And all. it doesn't because it's we're not dealing with a continuing storyline here. And it's because I've just been so beaten down by all of these season-long story arcs and all these other shows <laughs> that I just can't. I'm like, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, nothing. It's not supposed to have anything yeah, to do with anything. None of it because, has anything to do with anything. Right. That's the beauty. There are no consequences. There are no, yeah. I mean, if they want to revisit it, they can. There's continuity there, but that's about it. Right. Yeah. It's not that there are no consequences. It's just each episode has its own consequences that are dealt with, and then that's it. Right. Except Crisis Point 2. Crisis Point 2. Which is a sequel to Crisis Point 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I hope there will be a Crisis Point 3. I hope there will be a 3 and a 4, and however many seasons there are of this show, there needs to yeah. be one per. But it's I, I don't know that this, but this, you know, our traditional format for episodes, I think because this one doesn't follow a traditional format of a Lower Decks episode, you know, we've always talked about, okay, let's talk about the A story, let's talk about the B story, but we don't really, only one story. there's only one story, and we don't really, we can't really kind of go by the same format. So it's really just, you know, Peanut Hamper gets Peanut Hamper ends up building a ship in the debris from the battle that was seen in the finale of season one, and she winds up on this planet, a pre-warp civilization planet filled with, you know, bird people, which is reminds me of uh, had a very sort of animated series look to them, and also it had a very um, Breath of the Wild look to me. Yeah, of the roti is that what they're called? Yes, I said that to you about. No, I said that to you about uh, the therapist on the Cerritos. I said it feels like. Oh yeah. I wanted to whip out that accordion and talk like the you know and just, you know, just like in Breath of the Wild, but, yeah, I mean she falls. She she winds up stuck on this sort of pre-warp civilization, in this pre-warp civilization, and she's not happy there. She wants to get out of there, and she's just like a she's just like a fucking bitch the entire time and it's funny we're terrible person yeah it was funny because it also she had that very modern you know mm. annoying voice yeah oh, eh. that very judgmental sort of yes i'm over it uh, <laughs> you're also basic like that kind of vibe I, and the thing is i don't recall when we first met peanut hamper hamper she wasn't really she didn't really become a like a bitch really until she left. Because remember they were going to try to use her to get out of there, get out of the situation. Yeah. She's like, "No, nah, I'm good," and she just leaves. Yeah. 
so, which is reasonable. I think, and I think she, honestly, I think she fleshed it out a little better this time. Yeah. But I joined Starfleet to piss off my dad, not to be a virus bomb. And <laughs> I said, I'm not going to kill myself for a bunch of people, bunch of um, Landos that I just met. <laughs> is that your favorite line? Oh, you know, that's pretty reasonable. But she she stays on this planet and she winds up in an odd, <laughs> sort of in an odd, unexpected romance with Rauda, one of the uh, the son of the leader of these of the species and a raw dog as she calls him raw dog yeah so she's on the planet contacts the drukmani who are a race of scavengers that we've seen previously yeah so she has concocted this plan after she finds out that the bird people had uh formerly been an advanced civilization with warp and all sorts of technology she concocts a plan if she can let the scavengers know, make the scavengers think that they can come and take all this tech. She can save the day and she can call Starfleet at the same time so that Starfleet can catch her saving the day. She can get back into Starfleet's good graces and she can get the heck off this bird planet uh, that she's not really into. Right. Even though she seemed to really be into uh, her partner there. They were about to get married, but I guess that was all part of the plan. Yeah, all the while striking up this romance, which I... Which, in and of itself, seemed a bit ridiculous, but of course that was the entire point, right? Yeah, it was funny. But... Ish. Yeah, and we spend I mean, and we spend the episode most of the time with her just sort of trying to adapt. Not even sure if she's going to get picked up at any point. So she just kind of, you know, it's constant one-liner after one-liner. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It's, she's sassy. She strikes up a relationship, again, with um, Rauda... They almost get married, and then lo and behold, they show up. And her plan, mm-hmm. and you know, now she may have to follow through with her plan. Yes, and and it, you know, she was willing to risk destroying their entire community, right? <laughs> Which is just uh, shows how much of a terrible, can't say person, but terrible life form. Terrible life form. Terrible. Well, she was a ter- she was a terrible exocomp. Yes, is what she is. Terrible exocomp. Um, you all blame Data for this. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a, I think it was a, it was a fun episode. It was a fun story. Um, I don't know that I would say it's one of my favorites of the season. It was a no. somewhat of an, I think, somewhat of an unexpected deviation from. Yes, I, I love unexpected episodes. Yeah, no, I do too. I yeah. It would have, you know, even if it were an away mission with, you know, one of our super. Um, side characters. I think yeah. I would only them by themselves. I think I would have liked that maybe better. But yeah. I appreciate the the risk. I, I would like to see more of these kind of things. Did you feel at any point throughout the episode because she seems to have a couple of twists and turns where it seems like, even though she sent out that distress call, that was, or she contacted the, the Drukmani when she got there, that was sort of out of, again, frustration of being stuck on that planet. But then she ends up you know, kind of sticking around and again, nearly getting married to um, Rada. But did you think at any point? No, I don't think so because she, it was through the course of their courtship that she found out about the technology. So they were already far down the romance trail. Right. When she discovered the technology and she couldn't have come up with the plan until she knew they had the technology. Did you think at any point she was going to actually try to rescue and be heroic? Or do you think that she was just going to, End up I think she was willing she was. to be heroic as long as it got her what she wanted. Yeah. 
not for heroism's sake. I had a I had a moment where I hoped that maybe just maybe she would actually follow through, but in recalling the way she handled the situation at the end of the first season, obviously I was not surprised as to see the way it turned out the way it did. Yeah, I think that was the part I kind of did like. Is just no, there's no redemption here. Yeah, and Hamper is terrible, right. and that's it. Well, it's also you have to remember that you're you're also watching Lower Decks, right? Lower Decks is gonna probably take that road anyway for laughs. Right. They may be setting you up to make it. Yeah. Right. We didn't expect that. Usually in a story like this, they would have learned a lesson by the end. Maybe sacrificed themselves to save everyone. Yeah. Also, one of the rare Trek episodes where we don't even see the main characters until the last few minutes until the last few minutes of the episode. That's only happened. Yeah, I guess so. We saw them in the previously on. Right. But yeah, that's a fair. It was a, it was a somewhat of a light episode, so I don't really think I have too much to say beyond what I've already have said. I mean, it was enjoyable. It was funny. It went exactly the way I thought it was going to go, because because you know again it's lower decks, but also because it's peanut hamper. So I, I definitely didn't predict any of the. Nothing surprised. No, I don't think anything really surprised me. Let's put it that way. I I believe the love story part. So I was surprised that. Did you? She sold them out. I, so I. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I believed the love story in the moment, but then as we as we were leading up to, as we could see where it was going, I thought, you know what? I think she's gonna kind of be the little, <laughs> the little bitch that she's demonstrated, and just kind of bail on this at the very end. I think they sold it well because the first time that the little bird people, like the little kids were yeah. jumping on her. She seemed pissed. But then the second time in the nursery, yeah. she was kind of laughing and going along with it. So I thought that was a sign that, maybe that she that would be some redemption then. Come around a little bit, but nope. Nope. Um, she did have sex with um, raw dogs. So that was interesting. Which I bet you were kind of interested to see what it looked like. I kind of was. I mean, you know. As weird as I may sound, I kind of was. They played it for laughs in the proper way, I feel. I mean, he did sing her that. He did sing her that lovely song. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I think all that's really left to talk about now is some of the funny lines. Yeah. So I, I honestly didn't. There, there wasn't a really funny line that stuck out to me, other than just when she got there, and I said it before we began recording. I just really got a big laugh when. Just when she arrives and the the little one gives her a stick and she just goes, "Oh, a dirty stick! That's so special! Thanks so much!" That was like she's just so unimpressed with the entire planet. Um, that li- I don't know. That line just really I thought really made me laugh. Just really made me laugh. I also yeah. really liked a line from the very beginning when she first opens her uh, I don't know optical um, yep. uh, input or something, uh, and she says, "Rattan, where the fuck am I?" I thought that was very funny because that's the thing that makes her like she sees wicker and it's like, oh no, something's going on. There's wicker all around me. Yeah. Um, I have to mention that um, my wife, Julia, her favorite line was um, when she said that uh, she uh, she wanted to be a Dabo girl. Yep. She wanted to go to Free Cloud to become a Dabo girl. Yep. It's pretty funny. A lot of free. We've gotten several Free Cloud references in all these shows, which I like. Yeah, it's a good. Um, place to stand in for kind of the the las vegas of the trick world one thing i should talk about really quick is the ending of the episode because she got placed 
you know, in the Daystrom Institute, we found ourselves in a familiar location in the Daystrom Institute. She got placed right next to Agamus, which was the um, the sentient computer that we saw last season. That that was the voice by Jeffrey Coombs. That's who Mariner and Boiler were dragging around on that planet last season. All right. Yeah. So yeah. it seems like the two of them are going to be potentially working together at some point. You know, it's in, in that one place where all of the sentient, the evil sentient computers go. Mm-hmm. One I wonder being... how near or far she was from B4. Yeah, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, not, I, not evil, B4 not being evil. Right. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, because by the time you would get to, I mean, assuming... Unless nothing else happens with her again. Yeah. By the time you get to Star Trek Picard in the first episode, I mean, if they don't do anything with her, she's still there. Maybe Peanut Hamper will be the villain of um, season three of Picard. Can you you imagine? (laughs) I would love that. I would have preferred to be the villain in season two of Picard. Yeah. Um, Oh, another line I really like. Um, Straw, you guys haven't invented tile yet. That was a good one. Yeah, and then I think as far as um, you know, continuity goes, it was mostly or Easter eggs, I should say. Well, both. I should. Peanut Hamper is an Easter egg, sort of. It was mostly it was mostly connective tissue to existing lower decks lore. I mean, there was some callbacks to um, you know they mention that the birds in this episode are a poor man's. how do you say that? I forget how you say these aliens, but they're bird people f- that were seen in the animated series. The um, er, I think it's the Erlians. I think is how you pronounce it. But they were another bird-like species that you see in the uh, animated series episode yesteryear, and okay. we actually did see one in Lower Decks as well um, last season. So, but it's the I think it's the first time you actually hear the name of the species being said out loud since their first appearance. So, but other than Fun. that, it, it didn't really, other than that, it only really tied into Lower Decks continuity, mm-hmm. other than just the rest, you know, and not just the rest of the franchise, so. Well, Peanut Hamper being an exocomp is the one thing. Well, right, but I mean, that, but that sort of Easter egg would be more present when we first see her. There. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I like the flying goats, too. That was funny. Everything on this planet, yeah, everything on this flying snakes, sky snakes. Everything yeah. on this planet flies, though. Would you just call that a snake? <laughs> that was good. That, was that good. should be my favorite line, actually, because it's true. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, it was it was a fun episode. I, I don't think that it was anything. Uh, I, I, if you wanted to see what was going to happen with Peanut Hamburg, great. I don't know that it was really the update that I needed. It was just sort of a nice <clears throat> and a funny deviation from what we've seen. But yeah, yes, it was a fine twenty-five minutes. But nothing to write home about. No, I will not write home about it. My cool. mom will have to wait for another handwritten letter about lower decks because this one ain't gonna be it. Will it be Crisis Point Two? Well, maybe it will. Actually, I've already watched Crisis Point 2, and no, I'm not going to write home about that one either, though I did like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're about three weeks behind at this point, so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it'll be 
Trusted Sources, which I have not watched, or The Stars at Night. Oh. Well, The Stars at Night's the finale, so we haven't that hasn't aired yet. Oh, yes. And written by Mike McMahon, always promising. Yeah, for sure. Ready for this? I'll put the story in the thing. Chat. All right, so before we wrap, we wanted to just chat really quickly about... So I guess the story leaked for the scrapped Star Trek four, which would have, which I think we actually knew about right around the time Star Trek Beyond came out, as I recall. The story. Yeah, I remember I, hearing about this. They were going to bring Chris Hemsworth back. Yeah. Right. So how Chris, could you not? You get this big star that's involved. Chris Hemsworth playing Kirk's dad in the original, playing George Kirk in the first uh, Abrams film. But apparently the, um, you know, the full story, I guess, got leaked and they were going to, um, but this was the story they were going to do. Yeah. So they were saying that it, it was going to be the, some sort of a time thing would happen and you would have young Kirk and his almost the same age dad. Yep. And they said it would be in uh, like an Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in space, which sounds great. Yeah. And a villain with a 2001 A Space Odyssey-esque sci-fi idea at the core. Right. Sounds great. So it seems like they were going to, they were pulling inspiration from the episode Relics, which of course is the episode that features Montgomery Scott. Mm-hmm. So maybe he gets trapped in a transporter. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. I'd be curious in what in what way. Um, why that would work, but it says... What if, what if right before the Kelvin impacted with a huge mining ship, George Kirk had tried to beam himself over to his wife's shuttle where his son, Jim Kirk, had just been born? The idea may have big sci-fi logic, but Ping grounds it in a relatable mundane act. So, yeah, like relics, George Kirk may have been stuck in the transporter buffer. And... Which... Okay. But now what? <laughs> What's, I mean, I, I guess my question would be, and, you know, obviously it's in the script, but what's the, what is the dilemma? Right. Well, as I say, uh, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. So they're going to have an adventure together. Yeah. And it would have an original villain and a really cool 2001 A Space Odyssey-esque sci-fi idea at the core. So, mm. you know, they, I guess they don't go into that much detail. Yeah. So that's um, too bad because, you know, from what I'm hearing, I think it sounds great. It's, it's, I mean, the thing about that is that it's definitely from what this article says. What is that from? Den of Geek? Mm -hmm. But it was reported widely. Um, I think if there's one thing that the recent Star Trek movies have lacked is that sort of real sci-fi core element to them. They've just been, while mm -hmm. enjoyable, they've been kind of action-adventure movies. Yeah. And so the fact that they say they have a, a 2001-esque yeah. core, that's great too. Well, and that also, you know, when you say 2001, that reminds me, like when I see, I get frustrated sometimes because when I see, when I see movies like Interstellar or The Martian, right, mm -hmm. I say to myself, this is what, this is what Star Trek movies should be like. Well, they tried that with the motion picture, and I know, but dude, that was like almost that, that was like forty. That was a long time ago. I mean, no, but I feel like they got scared of doing anything too high concept after that. 
I think, yeah, I can understand that. But I think it's that... I'm not saying you have to go full-on 2001 or full-on Interstellar, full-on The Martian, right? But, like, think of those, um, you know, just think of those, like, the visual, the visual aspects right. of being out Maybe in space and just... Yeah, that's a, why. Why do we have to have a villain? I mean, that's why I get. That's Villains why. Are so boring. Yeah, I'm tired of villains. That's why I get mad when they talk about like when I saw the villain in the season three trailer, Picard. I'm just like, okay, we got another one here. What are we? What are we yeah, doing now? I'm, yeah, I'm just so tired of villains generally. You know, I mean, in everything. Well, I'm villains are kind of lame. I'm tired of villains in Trek, of course. But what I what I I think what I get really tired of is when all of these showrunners or movie directors or producers who are attached to said Trek project and they talk about this villain, it's almost always like some comparison to Khan and saying, oh, it's a villain. It's, you know, a villain so much like Khan or like we haven't seen a villain like this since Khan. As if Khan is this villain that they have to live up to. And Khan's okay. I mean, Khan's a great villain. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. But I mean, I don't think he was my... He definitely was not my favorite. Um, and also, it's like, yeah, Khan was a cool villain, mainly be, just because of it was a great performance. Right. I don't think it right. was just the concept was so good. No, I, 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 I actually, okay. I actually think as a villain, he's very, he's, it's a, de- I think he's a deeply flawed villain, to be honest. Yeah, with just you. the revenge stories. Nothing yeah. more to it. And so when I. You know what? Actually, I think um, what's his name? Um, Idris Elba in the third Star Trek is a better villain than Khan. I I think for me, I get tired of just the whole like a villain out for revenge because I hate the Federation. Federation did something to me. I want revenge on the Federation. I just feel like that's been done to death. Yeah, but I think as far as um. You know, a, a villain who it's like the performance makes it great. I think Idris Elba was very good. The concept didn't matter as much. It was just Idris you know Elba I think was, was good. I think you're right. Because I remember when Idris Elba, it was at the end when he was basically explaining himself to Kirk. And it made sense to me. It wasn't just yes. you know, somebody out for revenge. and. I, I can't right, or like, of... I'm uh, superior and I must destroy people because I'm superior. Yeah, like, I, I couldn't think of many, I can't think of many moments, recent moments anyway, where you have that scene of expo- exposition at the end where the villain just kind of reveals everything and why they're doing what they're doing before they die. Yeah. It's like Killmonger. Killmonger, I right. point to, is a great character where it's like they made a lot of sense. Yeah, so I, I, but I think it really says something because, again, my favorite Trek film doesn't have a villain. Oh, yeah. So. Or, right? The Voyage Home, correct. There is no villain. villain Humanity is villain. villain. Whale extinction. Well, I mean, we're the villain in, in a way because humanity causes the extinction of humpback whales, which ends up having repercussions centuries later. Yeah, but it's I mean, not, what a great yeah. thing. It's not that hard to make a movie without a villain. It's just for some reason people don't believe in making movies without villains. 
unless the villain is interesting, it doesn't add anything because when you ha- I think when you have a good villain, it can potentially elevate your main characters or bring them to a level you never would have expected. I mean, I I actually think because I've heard people say this about Khan, they think that Khan is Kirk's Joker, which oh, I don't agree with. I don't agree with that at all. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay, tell me why. I think the Klingons are his Joker, in a way. In Search for Spock, I think Christopher Lloyd's villain, Krug, does not get enough credit. Mm. Because the Klingons, he was a Klingon, killed his son. And he had Kirk basically in a no-win situation killed Kirk's son while he was speaking with him over over the con and literally brought Kirk to his knees. Mm. Yeah. And the resentment that Kirk had after that gets carried over into Star Trek Six, where he says, I never trusted Klingons, I never will, can never forgive them for the death of my boy. Yeah. I mean, that's but like what I mean is when I say, you know, reveal something or, you know, bring something out of the character that we've never seen. I mean, we've never seen, we never saw Kirk. Kirk always managed to outwit the, outwit the villain and escape, you know, at the last minute. Yeah. And, while he, and while he was able to in Search for Spock in that moment, it didn't seem like he was going to. Mm-hmm. It was the first time and, we and saw he, Kirk fall to his knees and almost. He getting, lost his son, so he, he didn't lost fully win. He lost his son. Spock, he had lost Spock, even though Spock was alive. He was about to lose the end. So it's a very, it's a very heavy, heavy movie. And I think we see a lot more into Kirk that we've never seen before. And yes, yeah. that to me, the villain brought all that out in him. Yeah. I think one of the problems with Star Trek villains, unlike the Joker, is they always killed them at the end of the movie. It's true. So it's true. you can... You can't build up much there when they they have to die at the end of the movie. So you only with all these great villains, I don't know how great they are, you wind up getting what? Twenty minutes of screen time tops. Yeah. Except Khan, because you got an episode from in the sixties. So that's like I think what makes that so I think quote unquote legendary. I think part of the problem that I've observed is that a villain is not who they start with when they create when they when they are coming up with all these things. Like for instance, with Picard, season three, even though we've not seen it yet, you know, they talk about, oh, they were saying it then, that the villain is going to be like, unlike anybody you've ever seen since Khan, right? But Who cares? Who cares? But like, okay, we want to get the TNG crew together. And we're going to do it by having this crazy cardboard cutout of a villain. Yeah. Who's hunting them all down. You know what it sounds like, actually? It sounds like Watchmen, now that I think about it. Yeah. Because isn't it like they're going after the crew of the Enterprise? It Yeah, it seems like they're all... They said that each one of them is being hunted for yeah, some reason. Yeah, so that sounds like Watchmen, where all the Watchmen are being killed, and then they come together to figure out... You know, they get the old Watchmen band back together. It sounds exactly like Watchmen. But you know something? In a way, it to me... It doesn't matter how good the villain in season three of Picard is, because that's not what I'm tuning in for. That's not why yeah, we're watching it. That's not why we're watching it. So, and I can, I, I feel like I can say now that whatever they do, 
it's just that villain, whoever that villain is, is not going to matter to me. I mean, I would, I, I would argue. I mean, Star Trek only, I think, only has a handful of really good villains, and, um, you know, I, I would put Khan in there, but I would also, but you know, again, Krug, who I just said, the Borg Queen, Gul Dukat. Yeah. The thing I love, right? I like like Q because Q's a villain, but he's also not a villain. Right, he's a yeah. He started out as sort of more villainous, but then he just became he's an innocent. adversary. He's an adversary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think the most the best villains are complex. Like, why is Darth Vader such a great villain? It's not because he's scary looking. It's because he winds up being the hero's father, and then he winds up not being a villain at the end. Yeah, I often feel like in a lot of these recent Trek outings, they they start off with an idea of wanting to make a very memorable villain when that's not. That's not how it should yeah. work. It, that 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 comes out in the performance, and that comes out in what you write. Yeah, that's why I think the most successful of recent Trek villains yeah. was the one that was um, mixed up with Scott's uh, Spock's brother. Right, Cybok. Whatever that person's name was. Yeah, Cybok's partner. Oh yes, 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 yeah. yes. Just because it was like, Angel. it didn't matter what Sorry, that person was out. doing. Angel, you're, talking, you're referring to Angel. Yeah. Yes. It didn't matter what they were doing. They just, the performance was so, they were having so much fun being a villain. And I think that's, and yeah, I mean, for me, it's, is it a good performance? Great. Is it yeah. an interesting story? Great. But. Yeah. And like, I think Ricardo Montalban was also having fun being a villain. I think that's what it comes down to. Like, are they actually yeah. like just throwing them whole selves into being like, I'm going to just be like a. Uh, over the top villain. Well, and that's I what mean, that's what th we had said that about Angel. Like the actors playing Angel just threw themselves right into it, and just you could just tell they were really having fun with it. I mean, Osira. <laughs> do I even need to say anything, man? Fun. Yeah. No, I don't know what they were not having fun. They were. I'm sure they were having fun, but they were awful. At, they were awful at it. They were having fun. They were the only one because we weren't having any fun. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I think, and Lower Decks has had some good villains. I mean, it's some fun villains. I mean, I like what they've done with the Packlids. They've been, <laughs> they've been really funny. But there hasn't been like a singular villain for them, really. So, right, so I don't want it. I don't want a singular villain. So I, yeah, I mean, it's. I'm surprised they haven't given any of their um, crisis points of like singular villain, since it's such a movie trope of Trek. When you're making new Trek. Don't try to sell me before I've seen it on the villain. Or don't yeah. try to use that. Don't, yeah. don't say that they're, they don't compare them to Khan to get me on board with this. I mean, I, I understand you're excited. You know, it's marketing fluff. I understand. But I mean, as I said, that's not what I'm watching Picard for. It's not what I would watch Star Trek, this new Star Trek for. For like, yeah. you know, there's already enough meat on that bone for me to tune in. It's not going to be like, well, I was dubious, but then when you said the part about the villain, now I want to go Being see Khan, it. Yeah. It's probably also Khan's the only Trek villain I think, you know, nine out of ten people in the street can name. Right. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm just of the opinion that just, I, I think that these Trek films need to have more of a sci-fi story to them, sci-fi element to them. It sounds like this movie was going to be that. Mm -hmm. And I think less emphasis on having somebody villainous, right? Let's just, 
I, I really truly believe they need to make another attempt at something like the motion picture, but only don't make it as heavy, don't make it as like drawn out, boring. I think you have something there you can do. Yeah. With yeah, that yeah, and yeah. make it successful. Yeah. I wonder if this leak is because they're trying to like build up interest in making it. I, like the writers maybe. because honestly, maybe that's why they're withholding the main story because they don't want to ruin that. So they're just kind of, this seems like a tease that would get people interested in it. And maybe I mean, listen, listen, trying to build up like a, a with, fan uh, movement with potent with multiverse stuff being with multiverse movies being a thing now and are going back to legacy characters. I mean, all right, let's do a uh, Kelvin timeline, prime timeline crossover here. All right. Let's, let's get them together and do something there. Yeah, I mean, or I'm, just do this movie that they're talking about. Or, I mean, my point is, is that even if they don't do go next ahead generation with it, in that timeline, like was speculated earlier. But my point is, like, even if they don't go ahead with this movie, there's still plenty of stuff to watch. New Trek to watch on Paramount Plus. Yeah, so I'm not. And, and but yeah. they could cross over with lower, um, Strange New Worlds. I mean, that would make sense time wise. Yeah, in fact. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this when we were talking, when we were reviewing the first episode of Strange New Worlds, but that the events of the first episode of Strange New Worlds took place concurrently with the events of Star Trek Into Darkness in the Kelvin timeline. How do you know that? Star dates. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's fun. So, so yeah, they could totally cross over. Look at that. The, the, it's already laid. Right. I mean, I don't think, but the thing is, I don't think the timelines have to be running parallel. You can just do some. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. But the whole ship can get stuck in a warp buffer. You know, they could bring back the God. You know, Discovery has demonstrated its willingness to use the Guardian of Forever and they could do something there. But I, I, I'm less concerned about whatever the mechanism is to bring them together. Yeah. I just, yeah. I think that because we have mentioned, they've mentioned the Kelvin timeline or the events leading up to it on, on Discovery. And I know Lower Decks has made sort of a joke of it, but I would love to see them try to maybe bring them together and tell a story. And whether that's yeah. in a movie, a theatrical release, or as I've been saying every once in a while, do a made-for-streaming movie. Right, well, they could cross them over. I mean... Yeah, it's. I'm just curious to see what the next movie project's going to be because we've had so many false starts. Right. Yeah, every announcement is a joke now, honestly. Yes, it kind of is like, oh, another one that won't happen. It's like DC movies were for a while. You know, we've been hearing about this rock movie playing Black Adam for like eight years. Yeah. Is there anything that you, before we close, I mean, do you, do you, do you, do you care? Like, do you want to see another movie? Or are you fine with... I'd like to see another movie. movie. With the Kelvin crew? I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be terribly disappointed if we didn't, but I'd like to see another one. I, you know, I like going to the movies. I like Star Trek. Why not? Right. But, you know, it's not something I'm clamoring it, for. It, it feels to me like less of a need because before it made sense since there was that was the only Trek we had. But now, since we have plenty of it on a recurring basis, it's not. It's less of a priority. That doesn't mean yeah, that I wouldn't go see it. The biggest bummer is that, as, we, but, as we've said, we liked the last movie 
I think we did. I liked it the most of any of the three. Yeah. So it's a bummer that it kind of stopped there because I think it was just starting to get really good. Well, it, the reason why was because they were going to do this movie, but I guess Chris Pine's salary demands were too high. That's At least that was the report that had gone out. Mm. But also, um, Star Trek Beyond went way... I mean, its budget just ballooned, and so by the time it came out and had its theatrical run, it really... I think like it only yeah. doubled what it made, and that was it. So it wasn't really oh considered a huge success, but... It only made like... You but know, you know, million dollars. <laughs> I I've always been of the opinion that, and it happened with, and I noticed it with beginning with Into Darkness. I think that Paramount got scared of associating it with Trek at all, and mm. they were trying to sort of move away from that, which was weird because mm -hmm. the first one was so successful. Into Darkness made more money than the one before that, so why were you suddenly? Yeah, and they didn't seem to really promote it much at all. They didn't promote it at all. And, it, and it, it, don't forget, it also came out during the franchise's 50th anniversary. So there was not really much of an acknowledgement there. I mean, I don't know how you would have really acknowledged that in your promotion. But, right. I mean, First Contact and Six came out during the 25th and 30th anniversaries, respectfully. And that wasn't really in the marketing. Well, Six, I think it was. But it just... It sort of came and went. I, I just think that Paramount and CBS basically ruined, like, just completely missed the boat on the entire 50th anniversary anyway. But, it is weird that this yeah. is one of their flagship franchises and they seem not to know what the hell to do with it. Right. I mean, Discovery had been announced at that time, but it wasn't out yet. I don't even know if it had a name yet. And um, so we knew when Beyond came out, we knew that another series was coming. But there was no Trek on TV. So if there was if all of this trek content had been on tv you know three years earlier maybe there would have been some acknowledgement of the 50th anniversary in some way but the, but beyond didn't do any of it all they wanted was just let's have a movie out because it's because this is the 50th anniversary and that was it and the closest we got was spock looking at that photograph of the original series crew at the end of the movie mm -hmm. which was nice it was a nice touch but you you never would have known that it was the 50th anniversary of the franchise, I guess, is really, unless you were a Star Trek fan. You never would have known that. I think there was just a real missed opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I had noticed that every time a trailer for the movie came up on TV, when the trailer would end and they would show the title, it would say the word beyond would come up first. Then Star Trek would slowly fade in. It was like a very small font, as if they just that's didn't weird. want you to know that that's what it was. And like, you're only making this movie because Star Trek is a name that everyone recognizes. Which it just, it, I never understood what the thinking was behind that marketing campaign. I really don't. They don't know what to do with it. It really is like you know they're always saying like, "This is not your grandpa's Star Trek." No. And it's like the, I always joke was, that that's what they're saying behind the scenes, but it's like the thing was people like your grandpa's Star Trek. There was one trailer for it that came out during the Force Awakens, actually, and then which was December of 2015. The movie was not due out until July of 2016, but in between then and I think May of 2016, there was nothing. Like, there was nothing. No new trailers. I think like four images came out, but there was absolutely nothing. No news, no no nothing. It was complete silence. 
you never would have known that a new Trek film was coming out. They dropped everything like in May of 2016. And at that point it was two months away. And it's like, how do you even, you know, when the, when the first Abrams film came out, they were just con, they were just every once in a while, there was a reminder about it. And that was it. But beyond, they just, that was it. It was a bad trailer that they, that they first released. And then there was nothing, absolutely nothing, which was, yeah, I, I, I think they botched that movie heavily. So, the reason why Paramount doesn't want to pay Chris Pine's salary is because Paramount fucked up, not him. Yeah. But and he's a big-ass movie star. Like, who else are they going to get that's enough of a movie star? You know I mean? They already have a big-ass movie star, and they just don't want to pay him. It's kind of weird. So, and that's why I'm so intrigued to see what the hell they're going to do. And one day we'll find out. Hopefully. But at any point, I'm sure it'll be... I'm sure it'll be fine when it comes out. Let's hope. Well, great. So that'll be it. That'll do it. Be back next week to talk about the next episode, which is Crisis Point 2. Yes. Yes. Maybe we'll be back before a week. Who knows? Maybe. Depends. All right, everybody. Well, you can reach out to us on Instagram at InstarTrekRetrust Podcast, and you can email us at InstarTrekRetrust at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Star Trek We Trust. Until then, we will see you next time. Bye.